that. It's such a good thing to have you with us today as we go through another uh, installment of our series called Build. An idea of build revolves around one single statement and was saying if life was a metaphor, if uh, life was a metaphor of construction, what would you be building today? If you consider life as a construction and you're on a building site, what would you be building today? In the first week, we looked at the idea that you can do one of two projects in life. You're either building the self-project, you're constructing your own concept of yourself, you're building your own ambition and dreams and hopes, and, and, and you're trying to build something up for yourself, or you are busy in the selfless project of building something for other people, and that's God's invitation for each of us. We learn that God is inviting us to do something selfless for the rest of of our life. He's asking you and asking me to join him on his selfish pursuit of the universe. He wants people that are struggling and crippled by the attack of the enemy, the spiritual enemy, uh, that, that God wants to crush in order to build others up, to come to an eternal experience of his love and to live with him forever and also to build others up around us in our day-to-day environments, people at home, people in your work environment, people in your schooling and university, people in the church environment, people in the community. God wants us to be builders. God wants you and invites you to uh, collaborate with him to build people up. And last week, we looked at three barriers that stop many of us uh, of engaging in that selfless project of building others up. And the number one is our motivation. Sometimes we don't find motivation to reach out and build others because it's hard work, because there's hardship and often ends in heartache. And today I wanted to look at the who. The way you view yourself, the way you consider yourself as a builder or not such a handy person, that will determine whether you build or you don't build. And next week, we're going to look at our competence and how we can be engaged in God's building project. So the idea of identity is something that determines your activity. How you perceive yourself will determine what you do in life. That's a given. Because those people that consider themselves as musicians, they invest a significant hours upon hours of trying to practice whatever instrument they're playing, and nobody is trying to push them to do that. If you're an athlete, you know, people who who are striving to be uh, successful in their industry, sporting industry, they invest significant amount of hours to try to be that type of an excellent athlete. Their identity determine what types of activities they would engage in. But you and I have built a subconscious vision of ourselves, what we call a self-concept. You have an idea of who you are, and that idea either 
intentionally determined or subconsciously constructed in your own mind. And it's built around the way uh, you have been brought up. It's built around your personality and your DNA. It's built around what other significant others have said to you or manifested to you overtly or uh, subtly about what they think you are. It's about your failures, your achievements. It's about your entire experience in life. And I believe in a very simple way, if I was to define how you would introduce yourself to others, if you had the opportunity, if nobody knew anything about you and you were about to introduce yourself to them, often you have in your mind three categories that define you, even if you don't necessarily share them openly and overtly with other people. The first one is characteristics, your own attributes and characteristics. It's how you see yourself. Maybe it's based on your personality. Maybe it's based on your physical attributes. Maybe it's based on your emotional capabilities. Maybe it's based on your relational environments. But somehow you have some characteristics that define you and between you and yourself, you know that's who I am. Some people say I'm an introvert. Others say, I'm an extrovert. Some other people say, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a really, you know, hardworking person. Whatever it might be, you have some view of your attributes, defining attributes that distinguish you from other people, and that determines part of your identity. The second thing, you, 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 um, you often ask people, what do you do? That's how you define somebody. You say, what do you do? And somebody would say, I'm a teacher, I, I, I'm a plumber, I'm a, I'm, I'm a you know, a CEO, whatever I might be, and that is part of how you define yourself. Maybe I'm a parent, maybe I'm a, a you know, a, um, whatever it might be, your, your involvement and your calling in life determine how you perceive and define and assess who you really are. And for others of us, part of our identity can come to the foreground based on our skills and abilities and competencies and what we've achieved and what we even sometimes we define ourselves by what, by what we failed at. You know, all of a sudden I am defining by my, uh, myself by what I didn't do so well or by what I quit in doing and so forth. So they are, in my opinion, uh, three defining character, uh, categories that define who we are or how we see ourselves. And growing up, I have heard people talk a lot about the idea about your identity in Christ and trying to say, you can't see yourself in a natural way. Uh, you need to begin to see yourself in a supernatural way and who you really are in Christ. And that is absolutely true. However, that is your current reality. In the natural, that's who you are. You can't say, that's not me. I'm not a female. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a parent. I, I, I'm not good at, you know, uh, handiwork. You can't say that. That is your natural self. What we need to accept and adopt as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you also have a hidden part. That the natural part is absolutely true. And if you deny it, you're kidding yourself. You can't deny that. But what you need to understand that is also there is a hidden reality in your life that you have another identity. And the one you focus on is the one that's going to determine your activity. You can't deny your natural reality, but it's about time for you and I to accept a supernatural reality. And the more you focus on the supernatural reality, it will determine the activities 
that you live in. Because the reality is this, friends. The more you focus on your natural reality, that is the just you reality, the more you're going to come up against a couple of things. If you... Uh, for example, feel that your characteristics and your calling and your competencies are not good enough and they're not as, um, uh, as uh, um, advantageous as the person next to you, you begin to have insecurities. You begin to cripple yourself from being a builder because you see your weakness, you see your type of characteristics that don't match the assignment that is before you. You begin to say, oh, you know, um, that's not really my calling. Oh, I don't have what it takes. And all of a sudden you live with insecurities. And how many of us know that when we are struggling with insecurities, we actually cripple ourselves? It's not our competence that matters. In fact, most research tells us it's our perceived competence that matters. It's how you perceive yourself that determines whether you engage with the project or not. And that's why some people are overly confident and they engage in projects that they can't finish. And others of us don't even engage in projects that are, uh, are uh, realistic for us to participate in. So the problem sometimes with focusing only on just me on my natural identity and reality is that I get crippled because of insecurity. Others of us go on the absolute other extreme and will become arrogant. So I might, you know, I've got this covered. It's, it's like um, I know a little kid who, who always thinks he's the best at everything. It's like he's the best at this sport. He's the best at this sport. He's the best at this sport. It's like, my friend, you can't be the best at every sport. You know, we still have eyes and can see, you know, that you're good at this, but you're not good at everything. Thing, right? And some of us Christians have the same problem. We think we have such high estimation of ourselves, of our natural identity, of our natural callings, of our natural competency, and we want to convince the world around us, oh, I've got this cup. Oh, mate, I've got this cup. And we've learned a few phrases, and, and you know, you fake it until you make it, and you stand strong, head tall, and bang, everybody is worshiping the ground you walk on. And the truth is, this is another extreme of insecurity and it's arrogance and whilst insecurity makes you cripple your calling and disqualify yourself let me tell you friends if you are a follower of Jesus arrogance and pride God disqualifies you because the scripture makes it utterly clear that God lifts up the humble and God resists the proud Oh man, you know what? I don't think any of us can take God on. <laughs> if God is going to resist somebody, you know the end from the beginning. You're not going to survive that battle. It's a wrestle that is not worth you getting into. If God is going to resist somebody and he says that he resists the proud, then it is not worth our while to live life trying to resist God by pretending that we are something we're not. So there is another opportunity for us to live life and to live the calling of building over our lives based on a supernatural identity that God gives you and gives me. And you know, this is not a new thing. This is not even a New Testament concept. This is an Old Testament concept. The number one Uno guy that, that had the relationship with God and the entire uh, Jewish uh, religion is based on him. His name was Abraham. The name 
Abraham, which is his first name, which meant exalted father. But he had no children. He had, his wife was barren and, and he was like, we, we read of him that he was as good as dead. That means his body didn't have the capacity to produce life. But you know what God does? Before he gives him a child, he changes his name. The change of name meant a change of nature. It meant a change of characteristics. And guess what his name was? His name was Abraham. And the word Abraham means the father of many or the father of many nations. Fancy that. No, no, no. You're not an exalted father because you have no child. I'm going to make you a father of many nations yeah, because that makes sense. But it's a supernatural thing. God was about to do a supernatural thing in his life, and he wanted him to take a supernatural identity before he will receive the activity, before he's going to receive the blessing. Isn't that awesome? The first thing about our characteristics, if it's a supernatural characteristics, is something that we can't yet see. The reason why you don't see yourself as a builder is because you, uh, you assess your reality, your network, you assess what you're capable of, you assess your characteristics and say, no, that's not me. Neither was Abraham. But God said to him, you're a, a father of many nations. This is the new characteristics I give you. This is the new identity I lay upon you. And I will see it come to pass. If you see yourself the way I see you, it's going to come to pass. The second thing is in terms of our competencies. You've heard of Moses, the second most influential person in, in, in the Jewish uh, in a heritage. He took them out of Egypt, but before he took them out of Egypt, out of slavery, he had an encounter with God at a place we call the burning bush. And God said to him, I, I, I want you to come and to rescue my people from slavery. And Moses said, oh, you haven't heard the news, Lord. I, I, I have been fleeing from Egypt for 40 years. I don't have what it takes to go back and face the Pharaoh in the eyes. He's, he's a big boy and I'm a little boy. I'm too scared. I ran for my life and God said to him yes you don't have he said to him God um, I, I don't have the capacity to speak I'm, I'm, I've got a heavy tongue and God said to him I'm going to give you the competence but not normal competence I'm going to give you supernatural signs and wonders like we sang about today signs and wonders I'm going to make you do stuff that the Pharaoh and his magicians and everybody else are what the heck just happened there and it's going to be supernatural competence. It's going to be supernatural. You're not going to be the Moses that comes and persuades Pharaoh. Otherwise, you're going to think of your capacity as high up there and your identity is the reason for your activity. But I'm going to give you a supernatural competence. I'm going to make you do signs and wonders that nobody can understand. Can you see throughout the history, we find that when God is about to use somebody, He changes their characteristics to a supernatural characteristics. He changed the competence to a supernatural competence. And then I want to mention Jeremiah, where God gave him a supernatural calling. I want you to look with me at Jeremiah chapter 1 and starting from verses 5, I believe, or verse 6. And this is what it says, says, Alas, sovereign Lord, that's Jeremiah talking, says, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. He's acknowledging the reality. You can't tell him, no, 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 Jeremiah, you're not young, bro. You, you need to see, see it in a different. No, 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 I am young. 
you know, this is my natural reality. But the Lord said to me, do not say. Do not say, I am too young. That means God used Jeremiah's own phrases and said to him, do not use those natural phrases anymore. I want you to see your supernatural phrases to determine your activity. It says, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. See today, I appoint point you means I have called you. I have given you a new vocation, a new career, a new way of living, a new purpose in life over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Friends, I want you to know that throughout the scripture, anybody that's ever been used by God had to accept and adopt a supernatural identity, a supernatural reality. They did not deny the fact that they are weak. They didn't deny the fact that they're incompetent. They didn't deny the fact that they don't have what it takes. It's not mind over matter. It's not, I'm going to manufacture God confidence. It's none of that. It's knowing that you don't have what it takes, but knowing that there is a different reality that is lavished upon you without your abilities. It's not you manufacturing the strength. It's it's God lavaging strength over you. And Paul encountered a group of Christians in a place called Ephesus. And these people were defined by their ethnic identity. They were the Jewish people and they were the Gentile people. They were the people who were defined by their race and they were all of the sudden associated with their race, the idea of being close to God. They were the Jewish. They were the, 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 the chosen people. And then they were the remnant. They were the, uh, sorry, they were the pagans who were unconsidered to be a people that loved God, a people close to God. They were considered enemies of God. And Paul says to them in the book of Ephesians, which basically it's a book about the new identity and the new society and the new person in Christ, and he gives them their identity. Here he talks to them about their characteristics in Ephesians chapter 2. And I briefly mentioned this scripture. It says, Ephesians 2.19, it says, You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation. And then he keeps going saying that there will be a building joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Saying, You are a temple. You are a family. You are a citizen. You do not see yourself based on your ethnic background. You see yourself now based on your position in Jesus. You are close. You are loved. You are admired. Your past doesn't determine your future. Your past doesn't determine your identity. Your past doesn't determine how God sees you. God sees you in Christ in a supernatural way because He is love, not because you are lovable. And then He talks to them about the calling in Ephesians chapter 4 and says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. God has a calling for you. God has a calling for me. God has a calling for every individual. 
And sometimes we take us a long time to understand the calling, but the calling is there for you. The calling is there for you. And the calling is to live life the way Jesus would have lived his life on earth. He says to them that we're being recreated in Christ Jesus for good works. That's our calling, to live the life with the purpose that God would have lived that life if he was here. So he tells them about the characteristics. Then in, 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 in the beginning of chapter 4, he tells them about their uh, calling. And then in the passage that we'll attack today, in a few moments that we've got together, he talks to them about their competence. So here, starting from verse 7, he says, But to each one of us, grace has, be, has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when Jesus ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. The idea of gifts, this is a supernatural present that God gives those people that accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. They are enablement, if you like. They are empowerments. They are like a dynamite of spiritual capabilities. It comes and explodes in your life without your abilities to manufacture it yourself. It's just a supernatural thing. In fact, Paul mentions the idea of supernatural gifts, of spiritual gifts in, first, uh, in Romans chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and, 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 and chapter 14, and again in Ephesians chapter 4, Peter mentions it also in his first epistle, mentions a couple of ideas about spiritual gifts, his capacities, his enablement. It's a supernatural competence that God gives you, that, you, that God gives you that you do not deserve. It's just a grace. It's given without you deserving it. And the amazing thing is that in all those lists, it's not an exhaustive list. It's something that, uh, you know, he picks and chooses based on the context in which he's considering uh, the, the, the audience that he's connecting with. So we don't have an exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts and all the capabilities God wants to give his people. Why? Because as the generations evolve, God has all the capabilities that we need today that they may not have needed yesterday. And God is more than willing to give you supernatural abilities to do what you can't do on your own. It's supernatural. But look at what he says, to each one of us. To each one of us. To each one of us, grace has been given. That means if you are a follower of Jesus, you have at least one supernatural gift. At least one supernatural gift. God either energizes or uh, touches your natural abilities, or God gives you a supernatural ability that you don't have at all. But it's a supernatural thing you do not deserve, but you accept willingly because you are in the business of your Father and you're collaborating with your, with your Creator to do something that's selfless, that potentially you can't do on your own. And he says, this is the purpose. Why? He says to them that God gives all those gifts to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ, that's you and I, that's the temple of God, that's Christians and pre-Christians be able to be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. That means we have the correct doctrine of concerning Jesus Christ as a son of God who lived and died and rose again 
to give us a reconciliation with God, our Creator. But it also says to the knowledge of the Son of God. And the word knowledge actually means intimacy. It's taken from the idea of a husband knows a wife. It's not a, an, a, 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 a cognitive knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. It's an intimate knowledge. And God wants us to have an intimate knowledge of His Son, Jesus. This is eternal life. And then we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God wants you and I, invites you and I, encourages you and I to adopt the very character of Christ. Imagine when your family interact with you and realize that they are dealing with somebody who's selfless, who is kind, who is gracious, who's wise, who and they say that this guy smells like Jesus. Even if they didn't know Jesus, they begin to understand that the beauty of life, to be fully human, one of the philosophers said this, to be fully human is to be like Jesus. It's true, friends. There is no greater resemblance of, of what you, your best you than the character of Jesus. And that's why Paul is saying we are all to equip one another. Not just few people become the pastors and the teachers and this and that, and they do the work. No, their job is to equip everybody else to do the work because in God's temple, everybody is needed. Everybody is necessary. Everybody is valued. You cannot be part of the family, part of the business of God, and not have anything to do in life. You're called. You're invited. You're given a gift to impact for the common good. You, if, if you're restricting yourself from exercising your gift, you are actually undermining the work of your Creator, the Father that loves you and He's given you abilities to impact and to bless and encourage others. If you're not using it, who's suffering? The one with the business. The eternal business, your heavenly father whom you love, and he wants you to engage with him in that business. The idea of the, of the, uh, of the gifts in Ephesians are well known as the fivefold ministries. There is a, a bit of uh, debate around what it means in, in the Christian arena. I'm not too smart to, to be able to uh, conclude that debate and tell you that's exactly what it means. What I'm going to do is just basically show you the five, the definitions of the five uh, different ministries. Some accept them as needed today. Others say that the first two of them, apostle and a prophet, have ceased by the time uh, uh, the apostles, the first apostles and the New uh, Testament prophets uh, uh, finished uh, their ministry, so we don't need them. Whatever it might be, all I can say, even if it's just merely evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they are functions, they're gifts, not just individuals, they are gifts, they are offices, they are, they are abilities that God gives people to do. Even if we only have those three, if we take them supernaturally, not doing ministry in our own, we have the capacity, the evangelists have the capacity to help people discover Jesus. The pastors have the capacities to help people develop in their walk with Jesus. And the teachers have the capacities to equip others to disciple others for Jesus. We have the whole discipleship and discipling process covered, but if we only do it supernaturally, not with our abilities. So if you'd allow me a few moments, I'm going to share with you the definitions that I've read and have seen over the past uh, few years about the different functions available. The number one is an apostle. 
And it says this, the term apostle refers to one who is sent with authority, pioneering, dreaming, designing, and doing new and challenging tasks. They're the people that God uses to initiate new work. The prophets are the fourth, uh, let's go to the next one. The prophets uh, refer to the one who hears from God. They are foretelling, not just, you know, uh, they're not magicians. They just see a clear picture of what's happening and they provide creative solutions and signs of the times and they tell people what's the required action. The next one is the evangelist, and we all know what an evangelist is, somebody that brings the good news, proclaiming the gospel so non-believers, pre-Christians, can experience the reality of Jesus' love and bring them close, one step closer to following Jesus. Pastors are the ones that uh, we refer to as shepherds, those people who look after others, care for the believers, they see needs, they empathize, they provide comfort, they encourage, and they speak the truth in love. And then finally, the teachers are the ones that hold forth the truth, particularly in the Word of God. And they establish the believers by their studies, they explain things, they enlighten people, and they help others apply the truth. I'm not wanting to, it's not my desire today to help you accept which one is your gift. All I want to say to you that God has a gift to help you do whatever calling that He's got for you. So if we, if we were to summarize uh, th this whole concept of a supernatural identity, I'd like to say that you and I are Jesus-like disciples, people who have the DNA of Christ within us. They are called to full-time building. All of us are called to full-time ministry, not necessarily to uh, forsake what you're doing. It's where you are, in your college, in your school, wherever you might be. God is calling you to be a full-time disciple maker, a full-time builder. But then you might, we might be all different and unique in the way that we're gifted. You may be gifted as an evangelist. You may be gifted as a pastor. Uh, you might be gifted as a teacher. It doesn't mean that you forsake your full-time job and do this. It's your full-time job that requires you to be full-time builder wherever you may be. And the reality is this, friends. If we are going to be a people that adopt our supernatural identity, and instead of the insecurity that results and the arrogance that results, we're going to have confidence and anointing. Why? Because your confidence is not built on your own abilities or make-believe type of confidence. It's confidence that built on God giving you supernatural capacities, giving you supernatural characteristics, giving you a supernatural calling. And if God is giving you a supernatural gift, who on earth can resist that? Who on earth can oppose that? Who on earth can derail that? Friends, the problem we have in a church today is we're doing too much in our our own strength and abilities. And God wants us to be a people of the Spirit, a people that see signs and wonders and miracles, a people that see God move strongly in our midst, a people that God will resist those who resist us, that God will oppose those who oppose us, that God will open door that no single human can shut. We want to be a supernatural group of people that live and lead supernaturally because unless we do that, you will have natural results. But when we move away from the just me to the Jesus me, God gives you confidence because of his supernatural abilities. And God gives you an anointing that 
conquers every attack of the enemy. That God accomplished everything He called you to accomplish because it's His supernatural ability. And I want to share with you a little story that I was thinking about in the, in the next minute or so about my mom, my late mom who passed about, about four years ago and we're going to see my, my dad in the next couple of months and, and she's just been on my mind of recent times. And she's a lady who was so quiet she is so introverted. She, she was the last in, 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 her, uh, in her family, a family, I think, of 11 brothers and sisters. That's a lot. They didn't believe in, you know. Uh, but uh, uh, she was the last, all right? She was so quiet. She was so pampered. She was her daddy, little girl, but her dad passed away when she was 15 or so. And she was really a reserved lady. She hated going out. She didn't like socializing. She wanted me to, when I go to, uh, to visit her, wanted me to sit on the couch, but she didn't want me to go out because she didn't want to go out. But this lady who was so quiet and so reserved and so shy, just before she got married, God showed her a little vision. She's an Orthodox uh, traditional church member, and she saw an icon of Mary, an icon of the cross. And uh, in her dream, she was going to pick one up, and a voice in her mind said, pick up Pick the icon, pick the icon, pick the icon of Mary. Then pick the cross. And she just found herself compelled to pick up the cross. And as she picked it up, God almost whispered, you chose the hard way. You will carry the cross of suffering and ministry for the rest of your life. And indeed, the lady lived her life sacrificially and selflessly for others. Even though she was so quiet and so reserved, when she discovered that in Egypt there was a need for, uh, for people to, uh, to teach uh, Christian instruction to secondary kids, she would go and she would take me with her. And she tries to talk over the kids. They don't give a hoot. You know, Egyptian kids are hard kids, you know. But uh, uh, she would still do it week in and week out. In fact, she would get the, the newspaper paper that I've got there, and she would pick the last couple of pages where they have funeral notices, and she will check people who may have some resemblance to a Christian name, and she would go to full strangers' houses, and she will try to open the scripture and tell them about the love of God and comfort them in the midst of their difficulties. How could an introverted, shy, reserved, quiet person do that? A supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. As we sing signs and wonders today, would you join me in begging God to lavish His anointing and supernatural characteristics and calling and gifting over our church in this season? Would you do that? That is my heart desire for us. Let's be upstanding and let's pray and seek God.